in Esther chapter 7, we're going to see Haman's fall. And he is going to fall hard and literally hang high. And his downfall is his pride. You know, pride does go before a destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And Haman is really the picture of that kind of life. And we need to take heed to our own pride lest we fall. We'll learn more about that today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Notice in verse 1, uh, the story continues. Now, the king and Haman, Haman had been whisked away to that banquet, banquet that Esther had prepared. She had prepared another one because she was trying for the right timing to talk to the king about Haman's wicked plan. It says, the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther the queen. Now, as we've been reading the story, we know that Haman's undoing is looming in the air. But there's, an, there's another decree looming, and that is the decree to destroy the Jewish people in all the provinces. And that decree is still out there. And it's, a, it's an irrevocable law of the Persians. And so now Esther is trying to save her people. And we can see that Haman's fall has been prophesied by the wife. Haman's been uh, weighed in the divine scales and found wanting. This is where I want to show you Proverbs 26. If you turn over there, and I want to remind you of something the book of Galatians says, and it says this. Don't be deceived. Turn to Proverbs 26. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows to, that he will also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit you will reap everlasting life. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, what Haman is essentially doing is fighting a battle which has gone on really from the book of Exodus when the Amalekite people uh, did not treat Israel well. And I took you back to Exodus 17 when we opened the book and I showed you how the, the uh, Haman character goes all the way back to Amalek and the Agagite king and what uh, King Saul failed to do. And so God will have war against Amalek for all time, we're told in Exodus 17. So you have to look at Haman as representing this war. And here's what happens to a man like this. This is Proverbs 26, 18. It says, like a madman, Proverbs 26, 18, shooting firebrands or deadly arrows, is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Without, a wood, a fire, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down, 21. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. Like a coating of glaze over earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. Though his speech is charming, do not believe him. For seven abominations fill his heart. His malice may be concealed by deception, but his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. 
And now these proverbial statements, they're generally true. If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. What we're going to have tonight as we look at Esther 7, if you turn back there, is Haman digs a pit that he ends up falling into. He rolls a stone that ends up rolling back on him. He's going to die on the most terrible death instrument you could ever imagine. And it's one that he built for another man. It's one that he built for his mortal enemy, and it's going to come back right on him. And that's the irony of the story tonight. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther, NIV. They had no idea how this night was going to turn. They had a little bit of a portent of it as the wife and friends speak into Haman's life. But notice in verse 1, it says, So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. You're just going out to dinner, man. How bad could it be? How bad could things go? You ever been there before? We're just going out to dinner. And then all of a sudden, the night turns and things go south and unexpected conversation leads to a snowball rolling in this direction. And you're like, how in the world did we get here? We're at Coco's. (laughs) This kind of stuff can't happen at Coco's or Norm's or wherever. We just went out to dinner. In Luke 6.25, Jesus said, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Numbers 32.22 says these words, Be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers 32.22. You see, if we sow to something, eventually we will reap it. If we're sowing to the things of the Spirit, we will reap of the Spirit. If we are sowing to the things of the flesh, eventually we will reap a harvest in either direction. It is inevitable. It is the law of sowing and reaping. That's what the Bible talks about. And Haman has been sowing to the flesh. He's been sowing to corruption. He's been harboring hatred. He manipulated the king to get an edict out against the Jewish people because the king wasn't really paying attention and because it was all about Haman's hatred of a single man who had become his idol. Just the fact that he would not bow down to him. And he's been manipulating. He's been weaving his little web behind the scenes and it's going to come back and he's going to get caught in his own web. We talk about a web of lies. We talk about people who sow to these things and they begin to create this little world, this little tapestry, and it ends up becoming their own web. And that's what happens to Haman. You see, Haman is a man who's fighting God. And we can see the providential hand of God moving over this whole area of Persia because he's made a covenant to his people and he will keep the covenant. The whole story hinges on the king's single sleepless night. His request for royal records to be read to him. The discovery of Mordecai's acts of service or act of service, the king's desire to honor him. Haman's arrival just in the court, just at the right moment, following a night where he constructed gallows for his intended victim Mordecai during the night. 
His plan re, uh, is, is put aside or thwarted by the king's question. He can't imagine the king wants to honor anybody else, so he thinks it's about him. And then Haman is humbled. We called last week divine backfire. And he goes through the city, and he is humbled. Humbled, really, to the ground. One writer says, Divine providence is not always easily discerned, but God was working out his plan. The key event, the king's sleepless night, had nothing to do with Esther or Mordecai, but instead was a seemingly insignificant detail in which the hidden hand of providence is discerned, though only with careful hindsight. Isn't that how life is? The intricate plans we lay can never come to fruition without God's providential blessing upon them, close quote. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We can make all these plans. We can say, we're going to do this. James says, you can say in a year, we're going we're to go to this city or we're going to go to such and such a city and stay there for a year. We're going to do this and do that. But James says, you don't even know what your life's going to be like tomorrow. You're but a vapor. You ever looked at a vapor? A vapor, you spray it into the air. You have one of those aerosol cans, you know, try to make a room smell nice. You spray it. It goes into the air and it dissipates rather quickly. Your life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. So James, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will go to such and such a city and we will do this and do that. But as it is, you're arrogant. And all such arrogance is boasting. Because to him to know, who knows the right thing to do it and does not do it, to him, it is sin. And so here's Haman. He's been humbled. Now you would think after that day of being humbled, he would have maybe looked in the mirror, taken a, another thought about his wife's words. You're going to fall before this man. If he's of Jewish seed, you're going to fall before him. You think, well, maybe he, he thought about that. But just then, as they were talking, he's whisked away. Dinner with the king and queen. What could be better? But the meal on the menu was hangman stew. <laughs> See, what he didn't realize was that the meal was him. Because Esther had been cooking up a storm, not because she just wanted to cook for hangman, but because she had something to unmask that was all about him. You see, he didn't know it, but he was on the menu that night. How many of you have watched the Twilight Zone episodes from years ago? There's an episode that I remember, and these aliens come down, and it's, it's like a black and white, you know, Twilight Zone. And these aliens come down, and they're all nice to the human beings that they meet, and they're very polite and wonderful. And, and it's all about them serving men. We're just here to serve man. We're just here to serve man. We just want to serve you. How can I serve you? And then as the episode goes on, things get a little bit weird and they discover a book that the aliens happen to leave, I think, you know, somewhere close by. And one of the humans see the book and the book says how to serve man and they open it and it's how to cook man. All the various ways that you could prepare a meal. You see, how to serve man meant you're on the menu. <laughs> and then there's the twilight music. <laughs> 
Sometimes we may feel like we're in an episode of The Twilight Zone. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. We understand that time can really get away from you. The day-to-day hustle can sometimes leave little time for the more important things in life, like Bible study. Remember that Pastor Michael's teachings can be heard at any time, day or night, on walkintruth.com. You don't have to worry that you have to get out of the car right now, because today's teaching is already online, ready for you to listen when it's most convenient for you. Visit walkintruth.com today to hear all the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. That's walkintruth.com. Did you know God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it? The famous verse, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this, tells us that Mordecai sensed God moving in the darkest of times. This is a story about ordinary, everyday people taking a stand and becoming vessels through which God saved a nation. The story is filled with satire and seriousness, but it ends with celebration as God turns things around for good as only He can. Get your copy of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching of the entire book of Esther for such a time as this. Yours as a thank you for your financial gift of $30 or more to Walk in Truth. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Now, you would think after that day of being humbled, he would have maybe looked in the mirror, taken another thought about his wife's words. You're going to fall before this man. If he's of Jewish seed, you're going to fall before him. You you think, well, maybe he, he thought about that. But just then, as they were talking, he's whisked away. Dinner with the king and queen. What could be better? But the meal on the menu was hangman stew. See, what he didn't realize was that the meal was him. Because Esther had been cooking up a storm, not because she just wanted to cook for Haman, but because she had something to unmask that was all about him. You see, he didn't know it, but he was on the menu that night. How many of you have watched the Twilight Zone episodes from years ago? There's an episode that I remember, and these aliens come down, and it's, it's like a black and white you know, Twilight Zone, and these aliens come down, and they're all nice to the human beings that they meet, and they're very polite and wonderful, and, and it's all about them serving men. We're just here to serve man. We're just here to serve man. We just want to serve you. How can I serve you? And then as the episode goes on, things get a little bit weird, and they discover a book that the aliens happen to leave, I think, you know, somewhere close by. And one of the humans see the book, and the book says, How to Serve Man, and they open it, and it's How to Cook Man. All the various ways that you could prepare a meal. You see, How to Serve Man meant you're on the menu. (laughs) And then there's the twilight music. Sometimes we may feel like we're in an episode of The Twilight Zone, but that's for another sermon. And the king said to Esther on the second day, this is another banquet, also as they drank their wine at the banquet, it's kind of like this, okay, Esther, okay, what, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. Now, note that she's called the queen in verses 1 and 2, and the only reason she's the queen is because of God's providential hand. We need to remember that. 
And he says, what's your petition? I think this is the third time he's asked her. It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. Esther's patience amazes the king. In fact, it's produced a hunger in him where he's just got to know what she desires. She didn't risk her life for nothing. She, she didn't come into the court uh, unsummoned for nothing. What is going on? And it's allowed for a perfect moment to reveal the truth. Esther has, uh, has to carefully reveal Haman's plot because remember, she is sitting at dinner with the two most powerful men in Persia. This is no light thing. Haman is the closest advisor of the king. He's probably a good friend of the king. So she's had to be very wise and shrewd about how she drops the bomb about what's going on. And so this is her moment. You see, she did bravely say, you know, if I perish, I perish. She did come into the court and got the scepter extended and touched it back and was relieved, but she still hasn't dropped the bomb yet. This is her moment. This is the time when, you know, you, you have to decide, okay, am I really going to follow through with this? And this is when you, you might be tempted to stutter or say, give me some water. I got a little bit of cotton mouth going on. Okay, well, the reason I invited you over is, is Haman looking right now. Maybe he's buttering his bread. You know, it's tough. Confrontation. How many of you struggle with confrontation? Confrontation's no fun. Even if you know someone deserves it, it's still no fun because you got to confront them. And that's not comfortable. And so she knew with a small intimate dinner like this, have you ever been there and you know you got to say something hard to somebody and you're like, okay, i got to wait for the perfect move. Maybe have one more bite of the bread. Maybe I wait till the dessert is served, sweeten them up a little bit. This is her moment. She's risking everything. She's going to have to come clean about her ethnicity and the fact that she's covered it up for years. She's going to immediately, when she says who she is, place herself under the edict of death, associate herself with her people, and immediately be under that law of death. She really doesn't know for sure how the king will respond. And so the queen, third time she's called the queen, Esther answered and said, three, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given as my petition and my people as my request. Now the measured language that she uses is directly in keeping with verse two. The king said, what is your petition? What is your request? In verse three, she says, my petition is my life. My request is my people. If you want to know what I'm asking for, if you want to know why I've gone through all of this, what I'm asking you for, King, is my life. I'm asking you for the life of my people. Esther begins kind of rapidly putting it out there. But here, it's almost an effort to keep her emotions in check. What I'm asking you for is that I don't die. Me, 
and my people. She now essentially begs for her life and that of her people because the two are linked together. She cannot separate herself from their life and their destiny. She's Jewish. She's in the covenant. And Mordecai had told her, don't think that just because you're in the palace that you're not going to die along with this edict too. Who knows? Maybe you've come to royalty for such a time as this. And now she says, look, I am with my people. I'm asking for my life. I'm asking for their life. If I found favor in your sight, and I think it's more than just, you know, courtroom or uh, royal court etiquette. She needs the favor of the king right now. I'm asking for my life and the life of my people. When we're praying for people and we're interceding for people, especially as it relates to salvation, in many ways we are praying a life and death prayer. We're asking for the life of people that we love to find eternal life. And that's not a light thing. And so she's not looking for half of the king's kingdom. She has no material concern whatsoever. What she puts before the king is a life and death scenario. Now, if you're Haman there and you begin to hear some of this stuff, you're like, what? What's she saying? could be midway through a bite of one of those nice little buns, you know. What? What'd she say? She says, For we have been sold for I and my people to be destroyed. Now this is the direct language of the edict that went out, signed, you know, stamped by the signet king of the ring. We've been the signet king of the signet ring of the king. Easy for me to say. We've been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, and the irony is that she had kind of been sold as a slave when she became the queen, men and women, I would have remained silent, for the trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance to the king. Look, this is a serious thing, but even that I wouldn't have brought up. But my people have been sold. My people are to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. She says, I wouldn't bring this up unless this was life and death stuff. Turn to Esther chapter 3. Take a look for a second. This is some of the language that is mentioned. Esther 3, look at verse 8. Haman said to King Ahasuerus, 3.8, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom, their laws are different from those of all the other people. They do not observe the king's laws. So it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. 3.9 If it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed and I will pay. Remember she says we were sold. Uh, here Haman says I will pay. We, if we can just get this done, king, I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who carry on the king's business to put into the king's treasuries. Then the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. You see, essentially, Haman tried to bribe the king with money. 
And there's a little debate about what this means, but he may just be saying, look, if there's a loss, if all these Jewish people are killed and destroyed, and he doesn't name them as Jewish people back here, turn back to chapter seven, he keeps who they are actually hidden, but he's, he's essentially saying, I'll make up for the money. We'll either take their, their money or their possessions or some way we'll replenish the king's treasuries. Essentially, this is a bribe. And the king is so uninterested Apparently he doesn't have a problem with genocide, that he just gives the signet, which is like his signature. Just give that to me and I'll sign it. Okay, fine, fine, let's get this done, good. You're my right hand man, I trust you. It's in the king's interest to do this. Well, Haman certainly was a manipulator, wasn't he? And the king was really ignorant, but Esther is gonna use what happened in chapter three against Haman and for the sake of her people. Hey, this is Pastor Michael, and connecting with you is important to me and to our team at Walk in Truth. Soon, we're going to be dedicating our Friday programs to a focus on answering questions that Christians and unbelievers have. Or maybe you have a friend that's been asking you questions. You're not quite sure how to handle it or how to respond. Is there something about the faith that you don't quite understand? Do you have a question that you're wrestling with? Something that's going on culturally in society that's tricky and difficult? Well, we're going to dedicate our Friday shows to tackling issues like this, really from an apologetic point of view, that is answering questions that you have, reasons for faith. So if there's a topic that you'd like to hear us discuss, a question that you have, I want to invite you to write into us, email us at answers at walkintruth.com. That's answers at walkintruth.com. Well, be sure to listen in tomorrow as we continue in Esther chapter 7 called Haman's Fall. Until then, may God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.